Welcome. I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And today, on my 14th episode, I have another trio of amazing guests. I have Brad Sarna, Jeff Morgan, and Chris Boshin. How are you guys doing tonight? Thanks for having Thanks us for on. Having me, man. There we go. Awesome. Happy to be here. Good, good. All right, guys. So this week's uh, group chat has been epic. Lots of laughs, lots of stories. Uh, I couldn't uh, I couldn't stay up with it last night. I, I woke up to about 92 text messages that had me howling at 630 in the morning. So that was pretty funny. But uh, we have you know, to do this more often. Yeah, no doubt. One of, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you guys all on together was just that uh, when I went to the Bisons in 2000 as an 18-year-old, you three were uh, sort of mentors to me just in the way you treated me and kind of took me under your respective wings. So, uh, you know, the fact that you guys are, are closest friends still to this day and, and I had that bond with you was was really the reason why I wanted to have you on all together. Um, Brad, I'd like to start with you and kind of talk about, you know, growing up and playing football. Uh, when did you start playing ball? Uh, well, I was born and raised in Winnipeg. I've been here my whole life. So I started playing football for the uh, Eastside Eagles. When I was 10 years old, as an Adam kid, and that was back when they had, uh, they were playing out of Chalmers Community Center, and back then football didn't have the, uh, you know, the traction or the enrollment that it has now. So we grew up playing six-man football, and they had a sort of a progression in minor football at the beginning there, and you went from six-man to nine-man, and then to twelve-man in your first, you know, three or four years or whatever, and. Um, after my first year of six man, I guess they swapped out that idea and got everybody into twelve man. So I played, uh, I played for Eastside growing up through the Chalmers days, the Anderson Park days, and into their new, well, current facility at Kildonan East there. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun, and I played there right up until until eleventh grade. And did you play quarterback that whole time? I did so. Yeah, I think uh, I think when I was ten years old I think I was the only kid that wanted to play quarterback and okay. I wore uh, wore number 45 I still remember it because I think my mom still has the photo somewhere um, nice. pretty awesome stuff and uh, you know six-man football at 10 years old is pretty comical like if you get a fast kid that can catch the edge on the big field I mean it's just just track meets and it was a lot of fun but yeah I played quarterback right up until uh, right up until my high school days okay and what was it about playing quarterback that you liked the most Probably the fact that you get to touch the ball on every play, on every offensive play. You know, right. I also grew up playing hockey and, and baseball and other sports, and you know that was the only sport where you got to be in the play every single time, no matter what. So that was that was definitely part of it. And uh, when I was young, I was kind of one of the only kids that could throw <laughs> decently, and uh, I, I did enjoy the. You know, as I kind of grew into the position as I got older, I did enjoy kind of being the guy that you're sort of the guy that everybody looks to for answers, right? Whether they don't have an assignment or can't remember what they're supposed to do or are just looking for some motivation, you're typically the guy that gets looked towards. And I, I always liked that about the position and taking on those leadership responsibilities. Yeah, that's great, man. I, I love that, that you uh, enjoyed that part of the game. That's as the quarterback, that's one of the most important factors is being that coach on the field. And, you know, I can remember back playing, you know, little guys football too, and you got to pretty much tell everybody what to do on every play. So, you know, it's being that coach on the field. So I can totally relate to that. 
Uh, Jeff, in terms of your uh, growing up and playing, you uh, you lived out of town. When uh, where are you from, and, and when did you start playing football? Born and raised in Warren, Manitoba, which is just north of, of Winnipeg, near Stonewall. Most people know Stonewall. Um, but there is no football out there, so I grew up playing hockey and baseball and attempting to play basketball, really, I guess, at school. But there was no football. There was hockey families. I attempted to play hockey and wasn't very good at that. But my family was big into football. My dad grew up uh, in the city playing football, and my brother uh, played high school football in Warren. Warren had a high school team. But when I got to uh, grade nine, they canceled the football program, something about schools being cut. Uh, and so teachers didn't uh, didn't coach sports for, the, for that year or those two years or something like that. So I um, they, they joined a team with, with Stonewall. And so we had a combined Warren and Stonewall Rams team. And it was a bit of a schmozzle. There wasn't enough equipment. And I had to share a helmet with some other guy and... I was in grade nine and didn't really know what I was doing. So that was my beginning intro to football um, was, was sharing equipment uh, with other people. And I got, I had my own mouth guard. So that was a, a perk, I guess. But go. yeah. And we practiced, we've changed right on the field and it, it was a bit of a disaster. We scored two touchdowns the entire year and we're all in eight. It was, uh, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> but good times. You know. Yeah. Well, that sounds like an interesting experience for sure. <laughs> And and Chris, how about you? When uh, when you were growing up, did you uh, did you play football? No, I didn't do I didn't do too much as a kid. I uh, I was always busy, but uh, did a, I had to take swimming lessons, or else we couldn't go to the lake, which is where uh, I learned how to eat hickory sticks after swimming lessons quite well. There we demolished them, and then I I did some curling <laughs> out of the West Kildonan Curling Club. And then uh, probably the biggest perk of that, too, was French fries and gravy before curling. So it felt pretty good for me. There you go. I like I liked the connection to food. Jeff, when did uh, when did you meet Bosch? Chris and I met kind of an odd story. We uh, had never met each other ever. And then uh, I don't know whether we were in grade 11, maybe, grade 10, trying out or going and trying out for the provincial team. Um, and in those days, the provincial team wasn't uh, a you know well-established thing. It was just starting out. And so he and I got dropped off at uh, at the Bison practice field there, and uh, I guess practice had been canceled, and I didn't get the message, and he didn't get the message. So our fathers dro- dropped us off there, and this was an all day kind of practice. And uh, they came back, I don't know, four or five hours later, six hours later, wow. and so Bosch and I just sat on the side of the road, like, and the boulevard with geese around us uh, <laughs> and, and grass, and we're like, hey you like stuff? And he's like, I like French fries. I'm like, I like French fries. And that's, uh, you know, 25 years later, whatever, we're, we're still friendly. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. We did try to meander through campus to find a telephone. That yeah. Very good. I think we got oh. to go to Max Bell and had to go back out into the rain. <laughs> yeah, it rained. Oh. Wow, that sounds like a bad day. It was, well, yeah. No cell phones, man. No, it was a different world. No quarter for a pay phone, not good. And how about you, Sarge? When did you uh, meet these two others? It would have been the, the provincial team program as well, but even a little bit before that, I remember I was playing uh, playing midget football post high school for for the East Side Eagles. It was that was like you know I guess it's called a major junior league now, but right. it was called midget back then. Yeah. And I remember after the first season, our coach grabbed a few of us guys who were kind of you know interested and uh, took us on some sort of pseudo recruiting trip to UND where we got to drive down to Grand Forks and go to, uh, you know, check out the facilities, meet the coaches, go to a game, 
have a meeting, all that kind of stuff. Cool. And I remember looking across the room and Jeff was there. I think, I can't recall exactly. He might've been with his father, but uh, I knew who he was. He certainly didn't know who I was because he had a, he had a good reputation as, you know, a really, really good football player. So I was a little bit like in awe of that. And uh, so we never really met on that trip, but uh, later on down the road, we, we met during the provincial team uh, tryouts and then, you know, being part of that program. And, you know, a couple of years, Years later, we ended up being on the Bisons together, and that's kind of where it all where it all started. Doesn't remember that because I, I was very memorable I, for sure. Bradley, I remember that to a T. I remember thinking I was a bit be the hot stuff going and being yeah. recruited at UND, and then I'm in that room, and these coaches are talking. And I look over, and I'm like, Eastside Eagles, they're letting. I guess I'm not hot stuff. I guess I'm not being recruited. <laughs> Everybody's being invited to this thing. So I was like, I recognize Eastside Eagles and and the coach there, Gord, what is his, Roberts? Gord Roberts. Yeah, I recognized Roberts. him right away. And I was like, oh. And I was like, oh, I guess. Oh, I thought it was special. I'm glad, <laughs> could, I'm glad we could take the wind out of your sails. <laughs> well, like he's, I, he's I, just so you're aware. Good. Yeah. Just so you're aware, geez, back then there was quite a division between the club guys and the yeah. high school guys. And right. one side of that equation thought that they were very much uh, more advanced <laughs> than the other side. Maybe even more than they actually were. Who knows? We'll get to that on the provincial yeah. team story. There we go. Yeah. Okay, well, that's that's excellent, guys. You know, and, and I mentioned it earlier, but... Uh, the three of you, when I got to the Bisons, kind of in all separate ways. Well, first of all, Brad, obviously we were in the same quarterback room. Uh, you were an awesome leader. You were an awesome leader of our team, but you were great to me. Uh, you know, Jeff, uh, I've, I've mentioned this to you before, but uh, there was times when, you know, I was a young kid and I wasn't very uh, motivated to get to class and I'd be sitting at University Center pretty much all day long. And, uh, you know, there was a, there was a few times where I can remember Jeff being like, Hey man, like, where's your next class? Like it's time to go, you know, kind of deal. And, you know, maybe I didn't listen too much, but, uh, but it did, it did mean something to me at that time. and means something to me now that he was looking out for me and Boch, we had, uh, we had a class together. I want to say it was like an intro geography class or something like that. It was probably one of the only classes that I got a decent grade in the whole year. So I think the fact that we were in it together, uh, you made sure I got the class and, and, and got the work done. So, you know, again, I've always kind of looked up to you guys from uh, how you treated me when I was a young guy and uh, how you made me feel like family. So, uh, you know, I really appreciate that. Back at it for the second quarter with Coach Geese, Jeff Morgan, Chris Boshin, and Brad Sarna. So, guys, uh, I want to get into our, our high school backgrounds. You know, I, I was fortunate to play at Oak Park High School from 97 to 99. Uh, I had a great time when I was there. I, I had a phenomenal uh, head coach in Gil Bromwell at the time that taught me a lot of life lessons. Uh, and, and I had a, a quite a bit of, you know, success, but I also had some, some not-so-good moments. I, uh, you know, didn't uh, come through in two, uh, my grade 11 and grade 12 championships. We uh, unfortunately lost both those games. It was pretty hard on me. But uh, overall, the experience of playing there and getting to play was, was pretty awesome for me. Um, Brad, you uh, you went to River East. You played there in grade 11 and 12. What, uh, what was that experience like for you? Well, I wish I could say it was like yours. Um, 
uh, and I don't want to be too disparaging on your podcast, but uh, it was probably the kind of the lousiest years I had of my entire football playing days. You know, I came, I came in, in, in grade 11, finally decided I wanted to play high school because at the time, I mean, really like that was the premier league for your age, you know, in the city playing club just didn't have the same clout that it did to play high school. So I figured, you know, I'd been playing the game for five, six years at that point, And some guys literally didn't know how to tie up their shoulder pads properly. So I figured I had a good opportunity there, but um, yeah, it just didn't pan out. We, we didn't have, unfortunately, we didn't have a lot of great football coaches. We had a lot of coaches, good mm-hmm. volunteers and, people giving their time, which we totally appreciate. But, you know, from the football mind, it just really wasn't there. We ran an archaic offense that wasn't very good and threw the ball like two times a game kind of thing. In fact, like I still remember to this day, we had a play and literally it was called right end pass. (laughs) And the tight end, the tight end ran a post. That was the play. And I mean, you think about that, you know enough about football, where's he going to run? He's going to run into the safety. So who are you going to throw to? (laughs) So you have no opportunity to do anything, right? And nobody really knew how to design anything around that. And, but, you know, you try to work with it. And then I I guess probably one of the hardest times I had with it was I, the coach actually pulled me aside and just said to my face, you know, I just don't think you're good enough to play this position at this level. So we're going to move you to a different position. And I mean, that just totally deflated me as a as a player I lost all my confidence ended up moving to play DB and you know I have to say it's one of those things that I've kept with me ever since then and when I started coaching I I always had that in the back of my mind that I would never want to make a player feel the way I felt the day I got told that instead of just coaching me up or or, you know working harder at it so Mm -hmm. you know that was pretty disappointing and and we didn't have a great football team we we, I don't think we won a game or we might have won one game our first year and our second year we picked it up a little bit and then the quarterback that was playing ended up quitting halfway through the grade 12 year so then I got called up to to kind of help out with another guy and, and we took some reps but we weren't a very good team so all in all the experience was pretty dismal but fortunately, you know, after high school, I moved on to back to club, and that's where I I met you know Gord Roberts as a coach, and uh, he was the first coach I had that I can remember that actually you know believed in me, and he he was more of a mentor to me than he probably he even knows today. So I was able to kind of get some of that confidence back, and and uh, and keep pushing you know what like as tough as that moment probably was for you the thing that i really love about that brad is that you just kept to it and you kept moving forward and and, you know kept working at it and and didn't uh like you said it was a deflating moment but uh maybe a monumental moment in your in your football career in your life to you know learn how to fight adversity chris how about you you uh you played high school at tech valk what uh, what was that experience like for you, and what was football like in the in the late '90s there, where you were playing high school football? Well, I guess it kind of started like I didn't really have a clue what was going on because we just had like a grade nine uh, orientation at Tech Block, and I ended up in a room, and you put your name down on a on a piece of paper, and then all of a sudden I got a, a letter in the mail that summer, and like, oh, come trial for football, and I was like, oh, I guess I'll go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, so my dad bought me a pair of cleats from. From Byway, and then uh, they were Bauer ones. <laughs> you know, you go to your first practice, and you don't really have a clue. Like I don't, I don't even really know what what happened that first little while. Other than I got my ass knocked around quite a bit. Um, but yeah, there was like 
just to start, there's a lot of older, a lot of older kids. Um, like Ty Block definitely had a mature team that year. And, uh, you know, you just sort of wander in there and you get some guidance. And I don't know, my, I think at the beginning, I just closed my eyes and went as hard as I could forward. And it sort of worked for a while. And then you sort of figure out things as you go. But uh, Jordy Wilson was my head coach there. And he, he was, uh, he was, a, he was a big influence on, on, I guess everything really. Like he, he was a former center and he was my first coach that I've ever really had. Right. Trying to think about like, well, like, like how would I describe it? And, and I don't even know that I can other than like, it's just like, I guess I just couldn't picture my life without him in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Because like all through high school, he's there and there's such formative years. And we were pretty good because he, he, he had like after school workouts for us. So like, that's the thing that really, really helped me and like I got into that and that really helped me change my body from probably like a sack of potatoes into like not having love handles I eventually got them back but um and then yeah just like like just being there for you through university and everything like that like it's I don't I don't even know how to describe it just just yeah it's just so impactful like everybody like hopefully everybody has one of those coaches but it's just yeah it's just hard to put into words just somebody that I would uh, probably do do anything for Oh, that's awesome to speak so highly of uh, Jordy Wilson, current Winnipeg Rifles head coach. Jeff, how about you? You uh, you played at Sturgeon Creek, not Sturgeon Heights, Sturgeon Creek. Yeah. Uh, your brother at the time was uh, kind of getting the CFL uh, CFL look. What do you remember about that time getting to Sturgeon and all that kind of going on? Well, as I said, I really hadn't played a lot of football before, but my household was a football household. So uh, my brother had been playing and uh, had been at the University of Manitoba for his four or five years that he was there. And so as he was uh, graduating and he signed a contract with uh, or two one-year contracts with Toronto, okay. I think the coach was Bob Ovilovich, Ovil- yeah. I think. Anyway, they got canned and so they cut all their contracts. And so he went to a uh, free agent camp and, um, Rick House, I think, uh, helped him get that connection and go into that camp, if you guys remember Rick House. Um, And so he did well at the camp. And so I remember, you know, listening to Bob Irving on the radio talking about, you know, something that exciting happened at Bomber Camp today and Bobby Morgan caught a pass and reading that in the newspapers and things like that. That was really super interesting and hearing, actually watching him come home, like beaten and bruised and just <laughs> just beaten up to a pulp was kind of uh, interesting as, as a kid who's like, oh, I'm in grade nine. I'm going to go and try and play football now. So, uh, so yeah. So I ended up going and playing uh, football, and I made my way to Sturgeon eventually. Uh, similar to, to Christopher, maybe not as, as um, friendly, but my, my relationship with, with Mike Watson and our coaches at Sturgeon was, was, you know, I was pretty fortunate in that those guys were, you know, they were young coaches at the time. They had all played at a very high level mm-hmm. and uh, they were just starting out their coaching careers too. And so our team was uh, similar to what Chris said, a pretty mature team in that we had had guys from the rods who'd been playing football for years and years and years. Uh, Matt Sheridan, Matt Rawhouse, whose brother Jason Rawhouse was a star with the Bisons and their dad played in the CFL. So there was quite a few guys who've been playing football for a long time. So I had to grow up pretty quickly being on a football field with a bunch of guys who knew what the hell they were doing. And I didn't. So you take your lumps and, you know, there was no JV league to try to, you know, slowly integrate you into the sport of football. You kind of got thumped around and, and you learn quickly on your feet. And speaking of, you know, some of the coaches that were there, the young guys, uh, Mike Watson, uh, Stan Pierre, Vaughn Mitchell, 
uh, that were coaching you at uh, Sturgeon Creek when you were transitioning to then go to university to the Bisons, so were they, right? Uh, uh, Stan, yeah. Stan and uh, and Vaughn went to the Bisons to coach. So what was that like for you? It was good. I mean, being recruited by Brian Doby is a is an interesting. You kind of have to go through it to really understand it. I mean, he's a persistent guy. Um, but going there was was like a blessing in that I was uh, there was some consistency, and I knew Vaughn and I knew Stan. Um, so that was great and warm and welcoming being this, this kid from a small town going to, you know, big university of Manitoba, you know, but at the same time, I kind of always felt like I could never really uh, grow up a little bit in that those guys saw me as a 15 year old. And maybe this is not accurate from their perspective, but I always felt like, you know, I wonder what it would have been like had I had to go some other place and maybe like reinvent myself and, and make my own first impressions with, with new coaches and, and new, uh, a new program and that sort of thing. Cause you know, it's 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 just uh, it's an interesting experience when you get to go and try new at a new place. I guess is what I'm trying to say. I like I like that you kind of touched on both the positive and and maybe not the positive, right? Um, but very cool experience. Uh, how about uh, provincial team? You guys all played provincial team together. Uh, what do you what do you remember about that, Brad? I'll start with you. I remember a couple of things. One, as I alluded to earlier, I remember the the sort of dissension amongst the high school versus the club players. And there was probably, I don't know, maybe six to 10 guys. I can't remember exactly club guys that were on the provincial team. So, you know, it's not a big roster, so it's a decent percentage of the roster. And a lot of those guys were really, really good football players. And I do remember the roster as a whole being very talented, like, if I could think back, I would say probably two thirds of those guys ended up playing, you know, CIS or CGFL or NCAA. And there were a few guys that ended up ultimately going to play in the CFL. So it was a good group of guys. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, the, the starting quarterback was a, a high school guy who had just come off of two championships back to back. So, you know, I was kind of in a tough spot, but when I got my opportunities, I think I did, did pretty well. And, the one thing I just remember over and above all that was just how hot it was. I mean, middle of July. You guys remember that? Middle of July. It was in Ottawa. And I remember playing on that old Frank Blair Stadium turf. And it must have been 48 degrees on that turf. It was and you're wearing black jerseys. You just felt like you were dying. Like, you know, turf burn. You just feel like you're melting into the ground. So I'll never forget how, how hot it was. But, you know, really good guys. And, uh, and I guess another last thing is I remember one time just getting licked by a middle linebacker on must have been, I think it was from BC. And I found out later that he was a stud junior player for the Abbotsford Air Force at the time in CGFL. And I thought to myself, my gosh, I've never been hit that hard in my life. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, if this is what, you know, playing at the sort of next level is, Oh my gosh, I got a you know got a long way to go. You can take some lumps along the way, but but you know that's where I met these guys, and and I have some friends that I I'm still friends with to this day. Several from that team, and you know whether some guys remember it or not, it was very for me. It was a very uh, important time in my career for sure. Chris, uh, what how, what did you remember about that time? Oh yeah, provincials was it was it was fun and exciting. It, it's kind of funny, just to touch on one thing Brad was talking about, like probably a lot of things that maybe younger kids won't realize now is just like there weren't a lot of teams in the late 90s in Winnipeg. There was eight or nine high school teams and how many club teams were there, Brad? 
was like five or six. Yeah. Yeah, six, like maybe eight. Like so like when like when Brad's saying there's competition and like we're talking about mature teams, like there there was fourteen teams in the whole city, like uh so there was definitely a lot of uh competition and rivalry. Uh provincial team, yeah, it was it was kind of a blur. Like the year that like like Jeff and I played provincial together the year prior. Okay. Where uh we went to Red Deer and I didn't know we were I didn't know there was a trip or the team was even happening until like they, they my mom called me at work, which <laughs> she had to call my supervisor so he could drive out to talk to me, like <laughs> no cell phone. And they're like, uh, your mom wants to talk to you. I'm like, you think there's an emergency? Then she's like, oh, they want you to go play football tomorrow in Red Deer. Can you go? <laughs> I don't know. I'm supposed to work. And then all of a sudden, I go on a bus and we're picking up Jeff at the Husky station on the way to Red Deer. Like, it was, that, like, that year was kind of crazy. And then, so, like, we just, yeah, we rolled into the tournament and, you know, you don't even know what's going on or, you know, they, they had canceled the team and then somehow they brought it back. And then the year that, like we played with Jeff it was in in Ottawa. It was way more uh, organized. organized, and yeah, like the, the talent on that team, like you could definitely tell, like the process was better because there was a lot of talented, talented players. Um, and yeah, like like Brad was talking about the heat, like your your feet were burning through through your shoes, and uh, like I remember Coach. Uh, Coach Pura made us run stairs oh. in between games. So, like, we had the first game, and then they didn't like something we were doing and running stairs at Frank Clair. But with that stadium, as you got higher up the stairs, got the bigger. stairs got higher. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, you're bagged, and you have to step even further. Like, oh, man, how long did we do stairs for? Like, it, it would seem like forever. Disaster. And it wasn't enough that you uh, lost 16 yeah, pounds in the game before, but then you got to run stairs after, too, you know? So you may as well just grind your right into the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a neat trip because, like, like at least for myself, it was my second time around when I was a little, a little more mature, and maybe you can enjoy it a little bit, right? And, and, and like I said, the first time we were thrown together, like like Jeff and I we sat on the bus, like we met we met at the at the Bison Stadium for one day, and then we're like, well, I guess we'll sit beside each other because we know <laughs> each other. Right. Jeff hogged the seat the whole time, right? So the the year with Ottawa when Brad was there was nice because you actually had a camp and you got to know guys. So. It was, uh, it was a pretty good experience. Speaking of those uh, old times, things were much different than I, I, I do remember that. How about you, Jeff? What do you remember at that time? Um, very similar to what these guys are talking about in that uh, I got a phone call, from, just like Chris, uh, to reiterate his story. I didn't have any equipment. We had, I guess the football team had been canceled, or maybe the Canada Cup had been canceled. I don't know. But our team certainly folded, and so my equipment was back at Sturgeon. And so I get this phone call in Warren, and it says, can you, you want to go to Red Deer and play football? And I'm like, uh, sure. Yeah, I like football. And so they're like, can you get to here? And I said, sure. Where's that? And it's Headingley Husky Station. I'm like, I don't have any football equipment. We'll find you equipment. So we, my dad gets in a car and we drive cross country because the bus is already there waiting for us. So we drive gravel roads and meet in Headingley at that giant Husky truck stop. And so then I ride there and I'm like, I don't have any equipment. So I, they found me some Alberta 
um, equipment. I played with some strange helmet and some other guy's shoulder pads. I didn't know who's the the stuff that I was wearing. And uh, we slept in a classroom on, on like little mats and cushions on the ground. And it was beyond strange. And I had, and I think maybe everybody's teams were kind of thrown together, but we got shellacked. Um, and, and that was my first experience of like ever being in a huddle with guys that were really bigger than me, <laughs> right? In your high school programs, you don't always have guys who fit the typical player position kind of body size and that sort of stuff, aside from Matt Sheridan at Sturgeon. But, um, and then the following year, we went to Ottawa and echoing what Brad said, like I would, you would drink water and it would just leave your body yeah. and you drink water <laughs> and it would just leave your body. It was one of the strangest things, but there it was certainly more organized and i thought in our lead up to that i'm like we're going to be pretty good like i compared it to our high school teams and all these these community club guys they were good football players like brad said i'm like we're gonna we're gonna win this whole thing we're we're gonna go undefeated and then we get out there and there's some pretty good other teams (laughs) and other provinces that have more football teams in their cities i didn't really grasp how small winnipeg was and how small the football community was then thank goodness now the football community is in winnipeg has grown um, but you know we still you know struggle when we go and face saskatchewan and their three provincial teams that they sometimes roll out with or, or whatever so yeah, yeah certainly neat experience definitely those, those are some great stories guys again bringing up the old times of the can 90s I, can i interject for a second sure sorry sorry to cut you off but it's too funny not to tell the story like, I remember, like, Jeff and I, we just got phone calls, and they're like, show up, okay, so we're on the bus the next day, and what are we, are we, 15, I think that's we're 16, maybe, and I remember, like, you know, you're feeling pretty good about yourself, like, yeah, okay, like, let's do this, and I remember going into the change room for a shower, because it was, like, just big communal change rooms, yeah, and Team Ontario was in there, and, like, we barely scrunched together 36 guys, and the legend has it there was 2,000 for them to choose from. I, remember I walked into the bathroom and there was like everybody was like six eight and there was like guys shaving their chests and their legs <laughs> i remember you like, telling me that what is going on in here like you know i was just starting to get some muscle tone like i didn't even like, you know let alone body hair and i just i just turned around and left and i was like oh i'll shower later like it was just, <laughs> just crazy oh that's cool <laughs> Oh my gosh. They they were rolling out with 40 18 year olds and we were rolling out with three 18 year olds and right. six 17 year olds and you know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well then, you know, after that provincial team experience, right? You guys uh all kind of make your way to the Bisons. Uh Jeff and Bosch, you guys go there in 98, Brad, you follow in in 99. Uh can you guys speak on, you know, maybe just going to the Bisons? And maybe what the uh, the culture and atmosphere was like at the program at that time. Uh, Jeff, I'll start with you. Again, going from a relatively small school to, um, you know, a, a major national program. Um, it, it was interesting going and seeing guys from all over the country, right? Like your provincial team, there's at least Manitoba guys. We go there, there are guys speaking French. There's guys speaking some form of something from the Maritimes. There's some Newfie language or something, but uh, I'm being silly. But and, and so there was just massive guys from all over the, the country that I'd never seen or really heard from coming from a small city like Winnipeg and then a small town like Warren. So I found that kind of intimidating in that my football background was, you know, pretty tiny, 
relative to where some of these guys have been playing football for 15 or 18 or 20 years because they're 23 years old or or 26 years old some of these guys were yeah. at the bison so i found that kind of uh, intimidating okay how, how about you bosh what did what did you think when you first got to the bisons in 98 what did i think i remember like we had a few we had a, that's when they used to have winter workouts so you could yeah. go there sort of when you were in high school so you sort of had like a little dabble but none of it was was actually real but i remember that first training camp and you know it starts with like jeff said like everybody was just so much older because all these guys had played five years a junior and like a fifth year guy would be like 28 years old mm -hmm. and you're like 18 <laughs> I, and like it was, it, it was just a whole nother world. Like I just remember getting so shit kicked that like after like a week of camp, I went to my dad and I remember telling him I was like, like this isn't this isn't for me. Like I've never picked myself up off the ground so many times, and like I I was ready to quit. And my dad was like, he just said to me, I remember he's just like, did you make a commitment to Coach Doby? And I was like, yes. And he's like, well, you're gonna honor it. And I was like. Well, <laughs> okay so then, you, know, you just you just you just keep going back keep rolling, and, you know yeah. we survived like jeff and i we survived that camp and uh like all of a sudden we were on a bus to calgary because there was a big air canada strike and uh i guess i can brag and say i started my first game because i was a tight end i was the sixth man and then yeah it just sort of Nothing good could happen that game either, I'll say that much. And then, uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden, like, you know, I survived another two weeks, and all of a sudden I was a starter. And then you're like, whoa, just keep grinding. Yeah, but yeah it, was, it was a crazy year, and there was some crazy characters. And, uh, yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, it was just, all I can say is just crazy. <laughs> just oh, ridiculous. Sounds like it. How about, how about you, Brad? You come in the next year. Uh, had you uh, had you attended any of the winter workouts previous to that or spring camps before that point? I did do, I think, the previous year's spring camp. Yeah. And then I went back to, to, to midget football for one more season. And then I and then the winter workouts again. But, you know, I think the one thing I really remember and this still sticks in my mind, the first time I ever went to a winter workout, you know, here I am coming out of like club football. Right. And it, we were, were in the old Max Bell Center there, and we were running just a simple running play. I don't even remember what it was, like a lead play or something. And in the background, in the backfield, is Craig Carr. I don't know right. if you remember Craig Carr. Yeah. He was there, all Canadian running back. And, I mean, at the time, he's the, he looked like a professional athlete. Yes, he he just looked the part, played the part. He was an outstanding player. And I thought, holy smokes, okay. So I remember we line up for this play, and the first thing, the center, might have been Bosch actually, I don't know who it was, he almost snapped the ball through my hand. Like, I felt like my hand got blown up with a grenade. Yes. And I turned, and by the time I turned, Craig was already gone through the hole. And I was standing there with the ball, just staring at the ground, being like, what the heck just happened? Because everything was just so much faster, right? You, you don't remember what it's like to just jump into a new speed. I mean, it's it, when you're going from high school or community to university, like there's a reason that there's junior because you need that step. I mean, you're going from zero to a hundred. So I remember that. And then I guess another thing when I, when I did get on the team in 99, I think the culture was different. It was very, very veteran oriented. So as a new guy coming in, you, I don't know if it was on purpose or whatever, but you felt very intimidated to even speak unless you were spoken to first 
And it was just, it was a little bit of an intimidating atmosphere that way. But that did ease off over time. And I think as time went on, like when you were there, geez, and then when we moved on, that kind of respect for the veterans almost dissipated too far the other way. Mm -hmm. I I for sure remember a time, I don't know, might have been my third or fourth year. And, you know, when you go to spring camp, there's probably 120 guys, 150 guys there. So you're sharing space and everything. But all the guys who have lockers, you have your name on your locker, right? Mm -hmm. You know? And I walk in there and there's a guy sitting in my locker. So I just, you know, cordially asked him if he could just find another spot. And he kind of told me where to go. And I thought, wow, there sure isn't very much respect here anymore. So, yeah. I mean, I made sure he got out of that spot. But it's just, <laughs> uh, it was, that respect thing was kind of gone out the door. But you know what, I do, like, I find that that time, like when Bosch, when Bosch and Jeff came in in 98 to 99 to when you came in in 2000, that was when the program really started to, you know, turn around and hit that turning point. Like when Dobie took over, they had a couple of 0-8 seasons. And I mean, hey, it's got to be hard to recruit guys when, you know, hey, come to Manitoba, we're 0-8 and, and your, your dressing room's in a glorified tractor shed and you've got rubber end zones and everything else. But, you know, he made it happen. He sold a bunch of guys on a dream. And that I find that that year that I came in in 99, when he went on that big national recruiting foray, I suppose, and got all those guys from out of province, that's when the program really started to turn around and we started having winning seasons and, you know, went to the Vanier and did all those things. And we had some very, very good football teams during that stretch. And I think that 98-99 kind of year was the year that it really turned around, you know, and made it more of a national powerhouse and easier to recruit. And and I'm sure Coach Doby would tell you that too. I mean, he's told me that too. He's probably, you know, I, I think he thinks that deep down as well. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. When I came in there, obviously not knowing a whole lot about the program, just kind of stepping in as a young kid, but it, it definitely felt like we were an elite program and, you know, we were all kind of thankful to be there and just things seemed like they were going in the right direction. So I, I definitely felt like I was on an elite team, you know, and, uh, you know, the guys that I was playing with, your, you guys included, were all great players and, and I believe the program was on the rise there. You know, kind of connecting one of the things you guys have kind of talked about, and I've had a lot of guests on uh, that have kind of mentioned about this whole, you know, the old um, rule system with age in terms of there there was no age limit, right? You could play five years a junior, take 10 years yeah. off, and then show up and play university football at 42 years old. Like, it was a crazy time, right? But, uh, you know, it, the fact that you guys all kind of stuck it out there and, and were able to get on the field at times and have a career there, I think, speaks to uh, your ability, but also kind of that mindset. Because I, I've said it before myself, I didn't have uh, the mental uh, the mental strength to kind of stick it out there. Like I was obviously, Brad, you were better than me. You were a few years older than me. We had, you know, another couple quarterbacks in the room that were better than me as well. And, and I knew that I wasn't going to play anytime soon. I needed to move on. But the fact that you guys all stuck it out and, uh, you know, again, were able to be integral parts of that team, I think speaks to your your character and your ability. So I think that's huge. Um, I just want to finish off the second quarter here. Brad and Chris, you guys, after playing for the U of M, you had uh, a little bit of, of playing experience in the Arena Football League. Uh, Boch, can you, can you talk about that time and what that experience was like? Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of an interesting experience because you know after like I had a I don't know pretty good career at U of M and then 
you know, everybody hopes to make it to the CFL and didn't really, it didn't pan out for me. Uh, so I didn't really know what was happening. And then, you know, you sort of, uh, all of a sudden an agent calls you and says, hey, do you want to come down and play some arena football? And you're like, oh, sure. Like, I remember like, I like the deadline was like, I had two dates, like get my passport done and everything. So it was like a rush. And, um, but it was just, it was just crazy to go down. Like it was arena two football. So like it, it counts as pro football, but it, don't get me wrong. It was not glorious. Um, but like the people, like I went to Bakersfield and the people there just loved us. Okay. Like it's it, like, I could only imagine what it would be like to play for like a major college or to be a pro, like an, an NFL player. But like the people in Bakersfield loved us and like, looked after us so well and like uh like yeah there was people that like they would just buy you they'd buy you like 50 pounds of meat because we were their players and like you, you know the one bar that we used to go to like you didn't pay for drinks they just i think the most i ever paid for it like my biggest tab in bakersfield was like five dollars like it was it was just crazy but like the football the football was was like really good there's some phenomenal players like we had a we had a quarterback uh Oh, I should know his name. I, I think it was Jason Thomas. Jason Thomas. And he played like UNLV, and like he he could dodge everybody on a hockey rink, and nobody could tackle him. And we had the defensive end Sean King, who ended up oh, yeah. like he sort of got bumped out of the NFL, got bumped out of the <laughs> AFL, and like they gave you a bonus for blocking kicks. And he was like, "Oh well, you know, like they'll just block four field goals in a row, like in a game." It's just like, "Oh, I was a Louisiana State high jump champion in high school, like, and you know, like you're competing with like a, you're battling it out in practice with a with a second round NFL draft pick, and like it's, it was a it was a great experience. It was it was eye opening to live in the states and and sort of see some of the culture differences." Um, and yeah, it was, it was it was a good experience. It was a fun time, and I think if anybody had the chance to go do it, I would I would definitely recommend they they try it out. Oh, it sounds like a very cool experience, Brad. What uh, what can you add to that? I would just echo a lot of it. Actually, like Bosch was far more extensive than I was for sure. Like uh, you know, when I was done playing university, you know, football is it's just it's hard to get it out of your system, right? And mm-hmm. I was looking for some avenues to play and. Um, I knew Bosch was playing in Bakersfield, so he hooked me up with uh, with the name of a guy who was kind of could get you into a. They had an international players draft at the time because they were okay. trying to grow the game like outside of the U.S. So I sent like a resume and some tape, and then they had this you know draft day thing over the internet. And sure enough, like half an hour into it, I got a phone call from this coach, Marty Hammond, in uh, Rio Grande Valley, and he said, "Yeah, you know, you want to come down and play football?" So excitedly it's nice to be wanted and chosen so you say yes you know and so i got off the phone with him and then i had to get back on the internet to find out what i just agreed to i didn't even know where i was going (laughs) so i found out that uh hidalgo is on the southern tip of texas like literally if you stand at city center you could throw a rock or football and throw it into mexico like it was so far south (laughs) but uh you know same thing as Bo. she went down and it felt professional you're in a real small market everybody knows who you are um they loved us there uh same thing going to a restaurant going to a bar things are just paid for it's cool and i guess you actually felt like a pro though i mean just from the small things like you leave practice and you come back and all your stuff is laundered and folded in your locker to you know the team meetings and stuff were pretty good and 
I was actually surprised at the depth of the the playbook. Like it's a way different game, mm-hmm. but I mean, our our playbook was almost comical. I felt like you watch those John Gruden hard knocks videos where he's got those plays with you know 16, 18, 20 words in them, and there was a lot of that. I'm thinking, how can you have so many? Because there's free motion and and you know right. different protections and everything. Every play that we had was all tags. So, I mean, you're spitting out a lot of verbiage and tripping over your own tongue a lot. And I was actually surprised that it was as complex as it was. And it, it was fun, though. And learning a new game was challenging. Like, mm-hmm. I just equate it to, like, an arcade game with real people. It's just a very condensed area. you got to be really quick at the ball and everything. But for me, like, the writing was on the wall for me. There was two guys there that had been returning quarterbacks. One was a four-year guy. The other was a guy from Vancouver, actually, that we played against in university. He played for Simon Fraser. His name was uh, J.R. Davies. And I I was kind of tuckered out at that point and just figured, well, if I'm not going to play, there's no point in staying around. And I was getting older and figured it was time to move on with life. So, you know, talked to the coach and just spilled my guts and got my release and I came home. So I never really got into the the game action like Bosch did but you know I went down through all the camp and got on the team and did all that stuff but but it was a really it was an interesting experience and in hindsight you know probably should have stuck it out just to just to see but hey we've got to live by our decisions you know for sure oh, it's, it sounds like an awesome uh, situation for both you guys uh Brad when you're talking about uh you know just not being a lot of space on the field you know in the American game I remember uh being at UND football camp in, in my grade 12 year, going into my grade 12 year. And, uh, you know, they were slightly recruiting me, so I, I knew I could feel that they were kind of watching me. And we were, you know, in some somewhat of a skelly scenario and then uh, some live team stuff. And I remember, like, they were just playing cover three zone. And I, and I had no idea what cover three zone was at that time, but I knew that they were playing zone because I could hear them communicating. And I could not throw anything other than a fade because I didn't know – where anybody was, there was no room. Like a guy ran a slant and I was like, oh, I just missed that. I just missed that. <laughs> and so I literally just threw fades and it was thankful that, you know, I had a pretty good arm and I could get the ball out there and some guys made some plays and made me look good. But man, like I couldn't throw anything like other than just down the sideline because I didn't know where the holes were. Like I couldn't find them. So uh, all the timing changes with, those, yeah. with those, that spatial change, all the timing on everything changes. It's like relearning. It's like relearning how to walk. It's yeah. unbelievable. No, it's... People wouldn't think that it's, it's that complex, but it really is. Back at it for the third quarter with Jeff Morgan, Brad Sarna and Chris Boshin. I've had the fortune of being able to coach alongside all of you at, at some point uh, in my 16, 17 years of coaching football, um, which is, is pretty cool. Jeff, I want to kind of get into your coaching background. Um, you started coaching at Sturgeon, and were you a teacher on staff at that point? I was a teacher, but not at Sturgeon when I first started coaching there, yeah. Okay. Can you uh, can you talk about that experience coaching there and, and kind of the ups and downs of that process? Yeah, um, it seemed like a a match made in heaven a little bit that I had played there as a guy and really enjoyed my time there and grew so much as a person uh, with football helping me as as a as a young man so to speak. Um, And then my dad had been a teacher there and was the head coach of the football program there, so it just seemed like a perfect fit um, to be there and be coaching. And it was, um, but 
you know, taking over and running a, a program and being a head coach is being a head coach of a, of a program is difficult to begin with. You know, you got parents, you got players, you have all those things, um, a budget, you know, those, those types of things. You, you don't really have a, a guide on how to, how to handle that being a head coach at a, at a school where you factor in, you know, the kids academics and the, interpersonal situations that go on with kids and players and and all that so sturgeon was was super fun and i learned a lot um it, it just didn't pan out well for me i was like a second or third year teacher and taking over a program that was fairly or not fairly successful it was very successful under brett watt um and i had these aspirations that i wanted to take this this team and uh, this program and make it a uh, a potter division contender every single year and so i created this JV team and I was coaching two different teams and having two, two different coaching staffs and a budget of 25 grand and like all of these things, you know, like um, it, it, it was a lot. It was overwhelming for me as a, as a young coach and as a young educator, um, you know, my, my teaching probably suffered uh, certainly in the, in that, uh, in that time period and personal relationships suffered with that. Like coaching can consume you if you let it, you know, mm-hmm. so uh, that, that was uh, a tough time. I look back on it, would do things differently, but also a good learning experience for me uh, that I look back on and, and remember and kind of pull from those those times that maybe didn't go as well as I was, uh, I wanted them to. Right. So, and, and then you go on and you end up uh, coaching and working at Oak Park High School. Yeah, I, I go from Sturgeon to changing school divisions and working at Oak Park and um, meeting the the juggernaut of Oak Park and and working with Stu Nixon and uh, I learned quite a bit about being a teacher and an educator from some of the teachers on staff there. So that was really really a developmental thing for for me teaching wise. But Stu was was very very good to me um, and kind of evolved. And I don't know whether he would think this, but it would be interesting to ask him. But like a little bit of an older brother or a father figure a little bit, and that he would tell me like when I would rub him the wrong way and when I would say something or do something that he didn't like, he would lay it out for me and be like, "This is what happened, and this is why I don't like that." And until you kind of have maybe your nose rubbed in it a little bit, because everybody has a little bit of a bravado when they're a football player and they're going through that and they played and they were a good player and now they're a coach. It's, it was kind of interesting to have Stu kind of lay it out for me. Here's a guy who's played football at a high level and coached for a long time. And Oak Park is, you know, mass producing players at a, at a university level and a pro level. So I really enjoyed the kids there. Um, and, and the product on the field was, uh, was very, very good. And uh, I learned a lot from Stu and I would feel comfortable to pick up the phone and phone him uh, about anything, anytime to this day. So, yeah, I had a very good experience. Yeah. Oh, that's great. And then in 2012, we uh, we competed against each other in a in a JV championship. I was at Vincent Massey. You were at Oak Park. We had sort of an epic uh, game <laughs> one of the season where you guys were kind of kicking the crap out of us. I, I can't remember what the score. I think you were up 20 or maybe 21 nothing, something like that. And, 21 nothing, yeah. Yeah, and then your mastermind <laughs> of your defensive coordinator played with no safety, and we just threw posts all day. And ended up uh, ended up taking the lead and winning the game, but twenty four twenty one, yeah. But then you uh, turned the tables on us in the championship game, and it didn't. Yeah, that, it's not a fond memory I have. Yeah, yeah, it was exciting. What do you remember about you know that championship season and and just being at Oak Park, coaching JV there for a number of years? Um, it was interesting going from coaching varsity to coaching JV. I kind of had to relearn how to uh how to teach things right when you're talking to 
17, 18 year olds, and then changing gears and having to talk to 13 and 14 year olds who have never played football before, who are still learning how to get dressed. You really have to change how you coach and change your playbook and change how you structure everything about your offense or, or your team for that matter. So I found that interesting and working out the kinks in that opening game against you guys, I thought, Oh, this is easy. We're doing well. And we yeah. plow down the field and score three quick touchdowns. And uh, then you guys start airing the ball out and you think you threw for 580 yards in the second half alone. It was just a debacle. <laughs> like could someone cover that kid and that kid and that kid, but, um, and then going through, you know, we won every game after that. Um, and then met you guys in the final. And I think we were both six and one or something like yeah. that, or you guys were seven and oh, or six, and maybe you guys were undefeated. Yeah, we were undefeated. You we were undefeated. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was excited to play you guys and uh, put in the new wrinkles and the kids were, were great. Um, great, great kids. I see some of those kids to this day, uh, you know, maybe not in COVID, but uh, mm. in the mall or something like that. And they talk, well, we changed the play here and this worked well. And it was, it was just a really nice group of kids. And to see that kind of come together, as the season goes on, it's uh, that doesn't always happen in, in a football season where it gels like that and it becomes easy. The wrinkles you put in your little quarterback spinneroonie you kept <laughs> yeah. running on us, we couldn't figure out what was going on. I don't even know what you were doing. But fake, fake toss counter. Fake toss counter. The quarterback literally turned in a circle and ran up the middle and nobody yeah. could tackle him. It was ridiculous. Uh, you love it. It's genius. <laughs> And then uh, you know, a couple years later, 2014, you're the uh, you're the head coach of JV team. You bring me on to help coach with you. Uh, I have a really fond memory of that. That was one of the most fun years I ever had. Actually, 2012 where we lost you, and then probably 2014 when I was with you are probably my two favorite years coaching, just because how fun it was and how we all got to work together. Uh, what do you remember about that time of us being together? I remember making the sales pitch to you in that like, and as I said earlier, like. Coaching can consume you. You're going to spend a lot of time away from your family and away from your friends. And, and so you might as well coach with people that you're friendly with and right. that you actually get along with and that you enjoy spending time with. Um, so I remember having a lot of laughs in between sessions on the field mm -hmm. and uh, before practices and after practices and winning games is always helpful. So I just remember, you know, the, the camaraderie between the coaches um, and, and the players see that and they know that the yes. coaches when they like each other and when they don't, you know, and that sort of stuff. So I just remember that being a really happy, positive experience. Right. So. No, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I definitely felt the same way. Um, transitioning to you, Brad, you, uh, when you started coaching, you first, your first stop was at Calvin high school. You spent a year there in 2004. And then uh, a few years later, you were part of the St. Paul's uh, first JV team. Can you speak about uh, right. those two experiences? Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, Calvin was the first opportunity I had to coach, like out of coming from being a player. And uh, John Ramu was one of our offensive linemen at U of M, and he was coaching and teaching at Calvin. And he asked me if I wanted to come out, so uh, I'd run through the wall for John any day of the week. Um, so I was excited to have an opportunity to coach. Calvin had always had a great name in the football community, produced tons of good players over the years. Um, when Coach Normando was running the program, and uh, so it was a good uh, it was a good experience for me to get my feet wet in coaching. So I was helping out with the quarterbacks. Um, I coached with some really great guys like John and uh, I think Jerry Urbanovich was there at the time, and Robin Mead, and you know we had a lot of fun. Um, we had a couple of good kids at quarterback. Unfortunately, our starter I, I remember he got 
just schmucked in a game one time and he was never the same you know some of those kids when they get a big lick they just they never come back the same yeah uh, unfortunately we lost a guy due to that he just never ended up really playing football again uh so we were kind of a building group we didn't have a successful season but it was a lot of fun and then um uh, you know i did i did coach through the middle of that and, and we'll, we'll get to that but uh in 2010, uh, Dave Siddle was anointed to start the JV program at St. Paul's, and Dave and I had been friends for a number of years. I always respected him as a coach, and his work ethic was just like second to none. So I was glad to jump in and help him, and that was the first time St. Paul's had JV. And then, of course, my first experience coaching JV. So I would echo Jeff's points, like you know, teaching kids that are 16, 17, and then teaching kids that are 13 and 14, you really have to change the way – you teach, right? Yes. I mean, you're in some cases you're going just as as bare bones basic as you you have to. Mm-hmm. But you know, it was a good experience being a part of that St. Paul's uh, you know machine that they have going there. It was it was pretty impressive being on the inside of it. They they've they've got a system, and I think they aren't as successful as they've been by accident. For sure, it's definitely planned. Uh, and it was a lot of fun. And I think back in those years, I don't have any contact with any of those players anymore, but I look at, I remember some of them and there's some guys that are, you know, playing CIS ball or U sports football now uh, mm-hmm. that I can remember and thought, wow, you know, they really came a long way from being those gangly little grade nine kids. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot of fun. And the, the schedule was much easier as well. Yeah. The JV schedule is money. I've always said that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And, and Bosch, uh, you when you started coaching, you were at Tech Voc. You went back to your high school to coach ball. Uh, one memory that kind of sticks out in my head about uh, coaching against you, I think it was 2006. I was the OC at Oak Park uh, on the varsity team. And uh, we were playing you middle of the season. I don't know if it was a crossover game or what it was, but we were in Canada Stadium. And I remember it just being a horrible day. And, and I think we were probably the higher-seeded team at the time. I'm not sure for sure, but... Uh, uh, I remember just it being a struggle of a game and, and for me, you know, calling the plays and uh, towards the end of the game, we ended up taking the lead. Uh, you know, there wasn't much time on the clock and, and somehow again, another coaching genius move of not playing with the safety and, and you guys leak a running back up the seam and it's a touchdown and the game's over and you beat us. Uh, I, I think that season you guys ended up winning the championship at that level. Uh, can you talk about that time at, at Tech Law Coaching and what it meant to you to be back at the program? I think coaching at Tech was, was, was probably like a huge building block in my career. Like, Dirty Wilson asked me to come coach. I coached in 2000 for a little bit. Um, and then 2005 was my first year. And, um, and yeah, we, like, we, we, Tech Law was interesting because we didn't have a lot of kids that ever played football before, just sort of because where they're located. Uh, so, it was really interesting. You really had to, as Jeff like touched on and Brad, like you really have to learn how to, to relay the skills that you know how to do and you can you can show them, but to actually like articulate it into a way that a kid that's never played football before can understand how to be an old lineman uh, is definitely definitely difficult. And I was very fortunate to have like uh, like an extremely good group of young men my first couple of years, and they they wanted to learn, they wanted to get better. Uh, they played some other sports, so like some of them already knew how to compete, and they were just ready to come in and and work hard. And um, yeah, I, I guess it was the year you're talking about, Aaron, and and we did win the championship. And I like I was, I was part of like 
I was pretty proud of two things. One, we only had that year that we won. We only had two kids that had ever played football before. So, like basically everybody else as a staff, we had to teach. And then I just remember how excited Coach Wilson was, like when that when the when the time ticked off, and like you could just see his face. And I remember grabbing him. I think I shook him up in the air, and like you could just see like sixteen years of hard work just coming through. Uh, you know, for somebody who's one of your mentors, and it was just, it was pretty phenomenal just to be a part of that. Like, it was, it was pretty amazing. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty, uh, pretty amazing experience that you that you had there. Um, how about uh, you know, transitioning into provincial team? Uh, all of us have coached provincial team. Uh, I think a couple of stops along the way. Um, Brad, let's start with you. Uh, what was your experience like coaching provincial team? Uh, it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot more work. I think than coaches who've never been a part of it don't really get how long of a process it actually is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I was fortunate enough, you know, as a couple of years out from being a player and, and coach Normando, Paul Normando got the head coaching job and he asked me if I would be his offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. So for, for me, from a, a coaching career standpoint, I got to hurdle like, you know, a lot of people, a lot of my peers just because of good fortune. And, and I'm grateful for that opportunity. And uh, I had a lot of fun with it. You know, we had some absolutely fantastic players on our team. Um, we, I think, well, we won the gold medal in 2005 in Waterloo. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, that we're still the only team that's won a gold medal out of the Canada, Manitoba Canada Cup teams. I believe that's um, true. Yeah. So that's, you know, that's a long time running now. And then the second year, we won a bronze medal in Winnipeg. And we were a couple of plays, a couple of bad calls away from getting to the gold medal game that year. So we had a couple of really good squads. And, uh, you know, a lot of those guys were went on to play university level and, and have good careers there too. But, you know, I distinctly remember uh, Khalil Williams, who was our quarterback, uh, in the winter, you know, the first phase of the tryouts and all the coaches pretty much to the letter wanted to cut him, except for oh. myself and one of our other offensive coaches. Mm -hmm. And we just saw something in him. I mean, he was, he was coached, but he was still raw, but he just had, he had those things that you can't teach, like mm -hmm. those, those competitive edges that you just can't teach guys how to have. And, you know, he turned out to be an you know, MVP of the tournament and went on to play junior and he was offensive player of the year in Canada and he ended up starting for years for the buys. And so, you know, I think it was a good choice on our, on our <laughs> part to keep him around, but, you know, just had some phenomenal talents like Harpreet Turka and Will Henry and Brendan Bowman. Brendan Bowman is probably one of the best football players I've ever seen in Manitoba. Like that kid could, he played receiver, but I mean, he could, play quarterback if you asked him and he could punt and kick and return like he could absolutely do everything on the field and it was phenomenal so my experience was great i coached with some great guys the the rest of the staff was just awesome and and we had a really good time so I, and it really you know I, I would really push kids to go through that process because as a player it helps you because you're getting coached by some pretty darn good coaches and you're getting pushed by some pretty darn good players yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I, I remember Khalil at that time too. He had that, uh, that QB swagger that, you know, 
certain core, certain QBs have it, and most don't, yeah. right? But the guys that have it, they're they're normally pretty good guys. But uh, but getting back to it, uh, Jeff, what you know from your time coaching provincial team, what uh, what do you remember? What sticks out? Similar to what Brad was saying in terms of the process of how intense and long long it is um and then it's all wrapped into like this little bundle like you work all this time yeah. and then it's and it's it's over <laughs> um you know and so so i found that to be um not normal you know like you you have your winter workouts in the normal football season you lead up preseason games and there's this long drawn out season and then there's your, your finale kind of thing so the provincial team was fast and furious and, and kind of uh different that way so i found that as a coach to be um, different. Um, and, and I didn't really like that. Yeah. Um, but meeting other coaches that I had zero experience with, um, from other parts of the city, I found that to be thoroughly interesting. So just as a guy coaching and then you have guest coaches come out and you're like, Oh, that's an interesting way to explain that. I I've never heard anyone explain it that way. Um, and seeing players from programs that I had no contact with or no experience with, um, was kind of interesting. And then at the same time, um, when I said earlier about, you know, Manitoba going and being in shock a little bit of seeing some of these other provinces going and, and facing Quebec, which uh, in some years don't participate in the tournament and other years they're, you, you're like, this is crazy. Some of the, the product that they put out on the field, how big and how fast they are. Um, and you're trying to coach your guys up a little bit. Like there's other teams and we got to be ready for this. And, 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 you know, it's hard not to think you're hot stuff when you get there and there's all these elite players from Winnipeg mm -hmm. and you think you're going to be good and you are good, but you got to be prepared to, you know, get punched in the face and then punch back a little bit. And it's, it's a tough transition. So yeah, all of those things wrapped into that. It's a, it's an awesome experience. I recommend any young coach going and doing that and any player, um, if they're interested, go and go and stack up and see what you're like. Bosch, what, what can you add to that about your experience? Oh, I think these two guys have touched on quite a bit of it. Um, I think just the intensity of it is, is it's so challenging and it's so stressful that like, at the time it, it's pretty exciting. And then, you know, I, I think I coached the project team three years and all of a sudden you're just sort of burnt out from it because your summer's gone at the time. I was, you jump right into rifles. So like, I, like, like, yeah, like that, that whole, that whole time of coaching for me is just sort of like one big blur. Like, I don't even know <laughs> if I can pick anything out mm -hmm. other than just sort of like the friendships that you, you probably forge and strengthen. Like it might sound a little cliche or cheesy. Right. But like, it is interesting when like, you know, like we've played together and you don't see each other for a while and then you get back and all of a sudden you're doing this, you know, you're trying to make these kids so good and you're so intense and, and, you know, everyone's fighting for, like, the players or what they believe in and, like, you know, trying to get the team where it needs to be. And it's just, I don't know, I think it solidified some of uh, some of my friendships. I, I think, like, coaching commercials really, really opened that up or, or brought me closer to some people that I hadn't talked to in a while. I love that you guys, you know, both Chris and Jeff, uh, you know, connecting the, the coaching factor and working with, uh, you know, working with other coaches and learning along the way I think is huge. So guys, uh, you know, speaking of the the Winnipeg Rifles, all of us have uh, has spent time with the program uh, as as coaches. Uh, for me, it was pretty important for me to get back to the Rifles and and be a coach on staff. And to be honest, it was more for myself. Uh, you know, you guys are aware that uh, when I was in my last year, the Rifles as a player, I, I left the team. I quit. I uh, I walked out halfway through the year. And um, you know, I've said this before that. Uh, I don't know if I would go back and redo things differently than, than I've done, but, uh, you know, that, that situation, that decision had, you know, 
impact. And uh, one of the one of the biggest impacts, honestly, was that uh, I was kind of forgotten and maybe kind of on purposely forgotten about being a rifle quarterback and uh, being part of that program. And as somebody who was the first ever quarterback of the program, uh, first quarterback that played pretty much all the snaps for the first couple of years, it meant something to me. And, uh, you know, being able to be a coach and, and being able to coach at the program and work with the program, I think meant a lot to me to get back there. So, you know, that was, that was really important to me. But uh, in terms of your guys' stops with the rifles, uh, Bosch, I'll start with you. You've, you've had the longest career with the rifles. What is it about that program, junior football, and maybe coaching that kind of age group that you really like? I think it's just a competitive level. I think it's a good phase where, where kids are coming up and some just want just want a chance to play football and some are trying to, to forge a CIS career. And I just felt with the rifles that it was a good place to, to give back and, and try and have to have some positive impact on, on, on kids that needed coaching and sort of help them try and achieve their dreams. Like somebody was there for me and pushed me and, you know, I was hoping that I could have some, I guess, some positive impact and help these guys achieve their goals and also have the team have some success. And um, it's also exciting, right? Like, like we talked about it before, like when your football career is over and, you know, you get into coaching and no matter what level you're coaching at, it's still exciting, man. Like you see your, you see your, your kids be successful or apply what you're coaching and, you know, rifles, Brad asked me to coach rifles after coaching at Tech, and, you know, it's just another level of excitement. Like, the caliber is higher, and, you know, you're playing across Canada, Western Canada, and just the excitement level. So, probably, like, the excitement, like, on a selfish level is what kind of kept me around, because, you know, it's still, it's like, it's game day, and it's just, it just gets you amped up still, and seeing your guys be successful is just so rewarding. Absolutely. Definitely, you know, I can relate to the whole game day feel. It, being a coach at that level, uh, preparing, being in the big stadiums, that kind of stuff is awesome. Uh, Brad, how, how about you? What was your experience like coaching for the Rifles? Well, you know, even before that, above all else, I think Bosch just pointed out something really, really important. And I think all of us believe this, and we haven't really talked about it, is that, you know, us all getting a chance to, after being players at, at decent levels to, to go back and give back to the community was first and foremost, whether it be Adam football, high school, junior, whatever, the fact that you're giving back to help those kids out and kind of repaying those folks that did the same for you on your way up is huge. So uh, my experience with the rifles, you know, I have to say like from a coaching standpoint, I got to coach with some very, very good coaches and I got to coach some very good players. And the CGFL is a, is a very, very good football league. Like the, the talent level is uh, outstanding. And, you know, we didn't have a lot of team success on the rifles. We just could never seem to put it together. You know, if our, if we go out and score 45 points, we'd let up 50. And if we, if we could hold them to 12, we couldn't score anything. You know what right. I mean? So we just, we never had good luck in that regard, but from a talent level, we had some just fantastic players and uh they could make a lot of things happen and you know i i alluded to some of them earlier the the fortune i had is i went into rifles right after i was done coaching provincial teams so mm -hmm. a lot of those players there that were the elite players in manitoba followed some of our staff to the rifles so we we kind of had a nice recruiting conduit there and it was it it worked out really well like we had some outstanding talent and uh my time was good you know it didn't end the way I would have hoped um, things 
tend to get, as you all know, they they become as much about politics as they might come and go uh, as they are about football. So um, things happen and things are said that can't be unsaid, and that's not always the best scenario, but that's the way it goes. But uh, I wouldn't change that time for anything, and I think for me, my biggest measuring stick is I still see players today that I coach through provincials and through that program. And when I see them on the street, they still call me coach. And to me, I don't know how you guys feel about that. That's a huge win for me. That means that I, uh, to me, that I had an impact on them and uh, a positive one. And uh, I feel really, really good about that. That's, that's so awesome that you speak about number one, about just giving back and that that was kind of your mentality. I, I think is huge, right? Um, it is it is good to give back and and be there for those guys and work with those guys. Uh, Jeff, how about how about you? What was your experience like coaching for the Winnipeg Rifles? Um, it was lots of fun, and I'll say that like I didn't necessarily realize this at the time, but uh, upon reflection, it was I look back at it and there was players sometimes that maybe didn't have the most outstanding you know high school career or major career come to the Rifles and they have an opportunity, maybe they've matured, maybe they were a late bloomer in terms of physical strength or, or whatnot, or they finally are getting a chance. And you see kids who maybe didn't have the most productive careers in high school or wherever they're from, and then they get a chance and they bloom at, at the rifle level at the, and the junior level. So I found that to be quite interesting because you, you know, you recruit players and you kids coming in, you hear who's good and, you know, and that sort of stuff. And then sometimes there's kids that just come out of nowhere and, and that's always interesting to see. Um, talking about brad saying you know giving back to the community um i guess i didn't even really think of this as coaching but like one of the first times that i ever really coached um and i didn't think about it was uh, the wade miller play with the pre- play with the pros camps yeah right you too. remember those things yeah. and we were players and we were just there helping out and getting some runners and and some shorts and uh you know i think back to some of those things and coaching little little kids right like eight-year-olds man was that a lot of fun to see how geeked up those kids would get about oh, just yeah. talking to you and that sort of stuff um so i i really look back and uh, with a big smile on those memories but coaching um in junior i found because there was a couple of years there where i went from coaching jv to coaching at the rifles now there's a pretty big gap between those things so i i did find it interesting to um be a coach who played at a pretty high level in university football to then going and coaching a junior and being able to talk and coach some of the finer detailed hand placements where your eyes should be. And you can't necessarily do that in high school unless you've got like a grade 12 guy who's been playing for four or five years and you don't often get that. So I found being able to touch the nuances of the game and kind of the tricks of the trade a little bit um, to be kind of neat to do and actually then see it get inputted onto the field with, with junior players was kind of kind of neat. Chris, you know, just to kind of cap off the third quarter here, uh, you've been able to spend some time and, and coach for Team Canada. What, uh, overall, what was that experience like? Oh, it's pretty amazing. Um, like, just sort of touch on, like, what Jeff's saying, like, all of a sudden, like, you all of a sudden you're on the field with the best players in Canada. And, you know, I, I went into a sort of nerve-wracking because I was the only junior coach. Everybody else had coached uh, CIS. You're like, oh, I, like, I need to prove myself. Like, I don't I don't want them to look down on our program or myself. Like, I want to you know, prove my worth. And, like, you go out there and, like, and, you know, we have good players in Manitoba, but all of a sudden you have the best at each position. And, man, it makes, it makes coaching pretty easy. <laughs> yeah. um, 
like the biggest thing is just you know to get that relationship and, and you know it's tough like old linemen you can't take it easy right like when you go in you have to be the hardest working group like and, and like in there like trying to get these kids who, who without a doubt are, are like all studs and you're like convincing them and forming that relationship like hey man yeah okay like the other guys are kind of you know they can sort of move into this slowly we got to just go we got to hammer it. but it, it's it's a it's an amazing experience i think if anybody has a chance to do it they should definitely jump on it um yeah it's just need to it's just need to work with coaches from across canada and to just be on the field with like the talented like canadian the players in canada Back at it for the fourth quarter, Coach Geese, Jeff Morgan, Chris Boshin, and Brad Sarna. So, guys, uh, I you know I want to finish off today talking about uh, you know you guys kind of stepping away from coaching for a little bit now. Uh, you know your family life, that kind of stuff, careers, where you're at today. So, Jeff, I'll start with you. Can you kind of fill us in with uh, what's going on with you right now? Married, two little kids, uh, forty-two years old, and. Uh enjoying being able to go home and spend time with my kids and being able to coach them in their little activities. There's a, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, two little girls. Um, so I miss football. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I also don't miss the, you know, the film and the long, long meetings and the installations and trying to figure out what offense is, is going to work for your personnel group that year and those types of things. As fun as that is, it's also nerve wracking when you only have, three kids that can play all line and you're like oh, which kid am i going to force to play left guard you know right. so yeah i mean i mean that's a, that's a real thing in in amateur yeah. sports right so um yeah no i i miss it and i don't miss it at the same time i'm sure i'll be coaching again um you know at some point in 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 my in the next you know 10 years or so when my girls are old enough and they're done with their sports so yeah Oh, we definitely need you back. So, uh, you know, I understand I understand your time away, but uh, Coach Gies needs your help. Uh, how about uh, how about you, Sarge? Where What's going on with you in your life right now? Where are you at? You know what? I'm married. I'm 43 years old now, so I'm not getting any younger. And uh, married with two kids. My daughter's four years old. My son is two years old. So we're in the thick of it and busy with them. And they're yeah. just amazing. I wish I could pause life right now. That It's a perfect time for that. Um, I've been a practicing financial planner for 17 years now, so that's been a busy you know, career life, but I get to come home for supper with my family every day, which is nice. Uh, I certainly miss football for sure. This, I don't know what it is, if it's COVID times or what, but this past year I've been doing a lot of reflection and uh, sort of reminiscing on, on the, the, the sporting career and the good and the bad of that and I've reached out to some old friends who I haven't talked to in a while and uh, it's been nice to reconnect you know and uh, so I, I do miss the game and the camaraderie of that you know the the group chat we had last night where Bosch and I and, and Jeff were were shooting these messages back and forth a hundred times you know it takes me back to the days when we would sit after practice for hours just sitting in the people had long gone home and we would just be sitting there just talking about football and life and everything else and I think those are the times you miss the most and I uh but the free time is nice and the time with the family is nice and I do hope to get back into coaching at some point um in in the not so distant future even if it's just helping out with some camps or, or doing something right. I'd like to get my my hands back into it because I do miss it a lot and it's in my blood and it's never going to leave absolutely 
And uh, there's always room for you at Big Air Academy, Coach. I could use an assistant QB coach. So whenever you're ready. I'd be honored. That would be outstanding. And how about, how about you, Bosch? What's, uh, what's going on? You got a little guy, and what's going on in your life? Yeah, we got a little guy. Um, like, like uh, my lady stuck with me through all the crazy years of the provincial teams and rifles back to back, and she didn't leave me. And, you know, I had to step, well, I didn't have to, but step back. And, you know, as much as you love football, it is, it's, Jeff was saying how it can be consuming, and it's mm-hmm. just, it's kind of nice to be with your family and and actually go to the lake and yeah. do some things and you know as as much as you miss the excitement of game day, it's it's pretty exciting being at home and, and seeing your family when you know you've been doing. Like it was a grind there for what like, like nine years, I guess. So yeah. um, it's it kind of nice to step back and you know I I look forward to the little guy getting bigger and having him. Keeping him from getting trampled by someone on the field in the future, right? Like it'll be exciting when he's good and can be out there, there, and uh, I can get back on the field. Yeah, I know that's awesome. You know, for me too. After 2019 season, I, I was just worn out, and like you, you, like you, all of you have said, the the grind of coaching football and especially coaching at a high level is it, just it takes a lot out of you, right? And the emotions are up and down, and I'm somebody I wear my emotions on my sleeve. So, you know, when things aren't going well, I'm not doing well, you know. So, uh, you know, it was time for me to kind of take a step away and and spend more time with my kids. And then we kind of got hit with COVID and, you know, we've been able to spend all this time together and and it's been really awesome. And uh, the fact that I've been able to kind of run my camps and still get my football fix, uh, you know, without having a true season has been pretty rewarding for me. So, I appreciate that, but I, but I also, you know, want to just say to you guys that, uh, you know, the fact that you decided to step away for your family and for yourselves and all that kind of thing, I, I, I really uh, admire that. You know, for me, the the game of football drives me so much that it's hard for me to completely remove myself, and I'm sure you guys haven't haven't removed yourself completely as well. You know, being fans of the game and, you know, talking to me today and all that kind of stuff. But, but I think you get what I'm saying. Um, I want to kind of transfer into uh, kind of talking about the NFL here before I let you go. So Brad, uh, you know, Dak Prescott, he just got his new contract. I'm not sure what the actual numbers were, something like 40-something million. He's getting... Yeah, yeah. 160, I think, yeah. Yeah, so what do you think about him getting that contract? Do you think it was worth it? Do you think it was a good decision? Well, one thing for sure for any of these guys now, I mean, this is just financially it's just so astronomically Mm life-changing i mean Mm. it's it's you can't even fathom what it would be and i'm not i don't follow like i don't watch a lot of nfl on tv anymore i kind of tune out on sundays we're out camping and doing other stuff but i try to keep up with what's going on and you know uh, i think i have a different view of him than most of the public does i've heard a lot of people slag slagging on this contract Mm. and everything else but i mean the facts are he's a key cog in their offense. He's a great athlete. Um, I mean, he had a pretty catastrophic injury last year, so we'll see how he bounces back from that. But, I mean, they were significantly different offensively without him playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, above all that, I mean, the, N- the NFL is hard. <laughs> and yeah. playing, qu- playing quarterback at any level is hard yeah. so when you get uh armchairs just saying he should have done this he should have done that he's mm-hmm. not very good you know what he's outstanding and elite in the world because he's there yeah so 
it's it's a very hard position to be in and I think keeping that continuity for the team is a good decision for them and we'll see how it pans out and hey there's only one winner every year right a yes. lot of guys go through a whole career without getting a ring so you can't always use that as your your measuring stick for success in my opinion mm-hmm. no I, I like what you said about that I, I actually I agree that I think it was a good decision and there's a couple things that you've been kind of pet peeves you know just like you're alluding to in the media you know how he kind of negatively gets spoken about about kind of this contract like I don't know if people think that he was going to sign for 25 million like and give his team like a huge break like that's not the way it works and I don't think the other thing with that is that you know like after him now the next few guys that are up for those big QB contracts Josh Allen who I think is deserving I think he's pretty elite Lamar Jackson who obviously had a a, you know a MVP season and Baker Mayfield is after him. Now, to me, I th- I would take Dak Prescott ahead of both Lamar and Baker Mayfield, as I think he's he's better than both of those guys. So, um, you know, and, and those guys that are coming up, they're going to sign for even bigger contracts. Like, that's the name of the game, right? Their agents have a job, and it, it is the market in the NFL. Now, maybe things will change with, uh, you know, the cap and all that kind of stuff and maybe affect contracts down the road. But as of right now, I don't think anybody could really fault him for taking the money, right? So there, it's not the, their job to be charitable when your career could end the next game. Exactly. I don't think. Exactly. And then and then just the last point about him that kind of drives me nuts is when people talk about, you know, his empty calorie yards. And it's like, okay, like, do you, would you rather him when they're getting pumped by 30 throw for 100 <laughs> yards rather than 300? Like, would that make him better? Like, no. Right? <laughs> so it's kind of a stupid comment because – Clearly, he's got a job to do. Every yard he throws for counts in a game. He's playing against NFL defenses. Like, I just it drives me nuts. Um, anyways, that's my rant for that. Uh, Jeff, I, I want to talk about the uh, the running backs in this upcoming draft. And do you think there's anybody you know worthy of a first round draft pick? Yeah, I think there might actually be two. The the guy from Clemson, uh, HN, or however yeah. you say his last name, uh, he's just a flat out stud. And has produced big, big numbers. Then there's the guy from Alabama. I, uh, his yeah, last Na- name's Harris. Najee Harris. Najee, yeah. is that how you say it? Najee. Yeah. Najee Harris. Um, and he's uh, not not produced all of those years, mostly because he had big talent in front of him. But I, I think both of those guys might be at the end of the first round. And, and mostly um, because when you get that first round pick, you get that uh, fifth year option, right? Like you might be able to keep those guys. If you're a back and you do, do produce in those first, second, or third years, the mileage that you put on. You're only having a seven, maybe eight-year career. So those guys are going to want to be getting paid in their third year or maybe redo their contract. So maybe if you get uh, draft them in the late in the first round, you get that extra fifth year on, on the cheap maybe, uh, so to speak. But both those guys are studs. They both uh, fit in today's NFL in that they can run between the tackles and they're, they're, they both can catch the ball. I think the, the HN guy is a little bit more explosive than the, the Harris guy from Alabama. I don't think he's going to go 90 yards on you. He's a bigger guy, but they're both they're both studs. And there's probably lots of other ones that are going to go in the middle of second round or something like that that are going to you know have excellent careers. So running back is a little bit of a di- diminished position that way, but uh, you, you still need to run the ball when it's third and one. Yeah, absolutely. I hope uh, I hope one of those running backs or maybe in the later round somebody falls to my Steelers because. Our run game was pathetic this past year, so I could definitely use the help. Um, Chris, how about, how about like the Chiefs O line in the Super Bowl and just you know the disaster that that game was for them? You know, can you speak about you know continuity on the O line and how important that is? 
Yeah, like Brad, I'm not. Uh, I don't. I don't follow the NFL super closely, but um, obviously, if I watch that game, like I, I keep my eye on it. But yeah, um, it's kind of interesting. I, maybe I have a different perspective on it. Like I think continuity is huge, um, but I also think, and I, I only know from the levels I've coached, at least, like you know, in high school that the backups are probably going to be playing, and you know, in junior that probably. Eight, nine, and ten are probably going to be seeing some probably key reps. Yeah, I just kind of found it. I found it really interesting. I understand it's the NFL; it's the best of the best. But I found it interesting that they didn't scheme differently, or that those guys struggled so greatly to not put them in a better chance to succeed. And I know, I know, I'm not there, and I I never was there. But just from like a coaching perspective, or even players you're bringing in, like when you look at your roster, you know where you're weak. And I understand they they lost Darren uh, hard up because like he stayed to, yeah, to be a doctor to, ser- to serve the community, right? And like that's that's a huge loss, but like it's 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 Quebec's gain, right? But I found it really interesting just that they they didn't they didn't scheme differently to put them in a position to like to be successful, like. You have to know the limitations of your guys. Like at, right. like at the level we're coaching, we know what our what our players are capable of doing, and it seems like they didn't. Like, <laughs> and and it's easy. Like, and I'm not trying to be that armchair guy, right? But I'm just like thinking, like, man, like I'm doing whatever I can to like to try and get my guys ready. If if that was me, and like I just thought they would have that there would have been more fight, but perhaps the talent level is just that great, and they didn't. They didn't change their scheme, or they thought they could make it work, and it was kind of sad to see Mahomes take so many hits that you, you never want, like, whatever. As, a, as an old lineman, you never want to see a QB take hits, but like, yeah. this guy's the face of the league. You like, thinking like, man, do whatever to take holding calls every time, like, whatever. Don't let <laughs> get lit up, mm-hmm. like, whatever. Do what you got to do. Keep everyone in protection. Run, run Sarge's uh, right post play, like, <laughs> and, and keep the other ten in. Like, yeah, nice. Hundred percent of the time, it never works. <laughs> well, hey, you never know. It it did seem strange that they didn't have that built into their offense to to be able to chip the ends or to have some motion, or they didn't respect the the pass rush. Maybe maybe they thought their guys uh, were better. You know, like maybe you know, and but at, at halftime they sure didn't. No, and one of the things too, like that I've I've said before on the podcast is like. In terms of Mahomes, I love Mahomes. He's great, like phenomenal, you know, crazy talent uh, and and whatnot. And obviously, the O line struggled. You could see that. But again, like and and Boish, you can you know attest to this. Like if you're watching film and it's a thirty, and your quarterback takes seven steps and hitches and hitches and hitches, like I know that's not bad. what it's supposed to be, right? So I don't know if it was a matter of of the road, you know, the road choices or what they were trying to do, but it did seem at times that he was like you know, holding on to the ball for a long time and, and taking a lot of extra steps and whatever. So, you know, as being an offensive coordinator, I know that that's not the way the plays are designed, right? So, you know, I, I think some of it comes back on him too. Um, I agree with that. Fair. I well, agree with that 100%. Good. I'm kind of smart sometimes. Um, you guys are and stars. You know it's the old line's fault. Who are you guys kidding? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's who we would blame for sure. But I know what of you course. guys say in the QB room. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so speaking of that, Brad, uh, talk about talk about leadership required to be an elite quarterback. What what do you see? Who do you think are kind of the more elite guys right now that have great leadership skills? 
Well, I think to me, I've always thought it's two major things. Like it's it's a lot of things, but it's yeah. two major things. I think one, as a quarterback, to be a good leader, you always have to be yourself. And I think if you come off to the team as arrogant or you know kind of above everybody else, that's not going to work. If you come off as a sort of a man of the people and you're inclusive and you're competitive at everything you do, practice, games, off-season, everything, I think that that's really important because when you're in the huddle and you're in the heat of the moment, the minute that you change, they know. Like yeah. the rest, those guys are all looking at you and they know. And both will attest to that for sure. And then probably the second one would be just developing a good work ethic. I mean, and live by the, you know, do as I do mentality. Don't just do what I say, but do as I do. And if you have that good work ethic and you're at all the off-season workouts and you're studying extra film and you're, you know, getting mental reps at practice, all those things are super, super important. And, uh, again, I don't watch a whole ton of NFL, but I watch what I do watch. I mean, it's no surprise that Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers are as successful as they are. They're not super vocal guys. They're vocal when they have to be, but pretty much they lead by example. Right. Whether it be training in the off season or, or, you know, laying it all on the line in a game to make a play, doing what they got to do. I think that they're really good leaders in that regard. Oh, I totally agree with you. And, and you know, to kind of end off here, who, who is your favorite QB of all time and why Brad? Um, my I've got two. So sure. for sure, my all-time favorite is Brett Favre. He's just a I know Jeff shaking his head right now. I just absolutely have loved the way that guy played yeah. the game. He played with so much fun and enthusiasm, and played like he was playing in his backyard with his buddies. And you know, he definitely I mean he threw a lot of interceptions, but he was never scared to take a chance. And he would always dust himself off and come back after he made a mistake. And then, I mean, he, the guy started like 290 games, 300 yeah. games or something in a row. Mm-hmm. But that's just absolutely insane at that level, I think. And then the second would be Joe Montana, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, Joe Montana, he exuded all those qualities of leadership. And I mean, he won, I, I don't know, did he win four Super Bowls? Yeah, four Super Bowls. Four Super Bowls in four tries. And he did it in a time when QBs were live. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you had to bet in the first series or two of the game, you're going to get late shot from the backside just to see if, you know, they can shake you up a little mm-hmm. bit. And you can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So I know the games, sports change and players evolve and athletes evolve. But those guys, I mean, they were phenomenal for their time. Yeah, it was it was a completely different game. Also, to speak on Joe Montana's Super Bowl success, he didn't throw an interception in any of those games. Like I think, I think that stat alone is incredible, right? Like it's this incredible. Sh- just shows how good he was. So I really like that answer. I've said before that to me, even though Brady's got the seven Super Bowls, to me Joe Montana's always the goat. But uh, yeah, agreed. Jeff, I'd like to get your perspective from being a running back, being a running back coach. What is most important about, you know, your quarterback or what are you looking for in your quarterback? Um, the, the leadership qualities like Brad, like Brad mentioned there. And earlier when we were talking, you know, the guy who has answers when kids come to them or other people come to them, you know, those leadership qualities, you can't really 
Um, you can't not have those if you're going to be the guy that's the quarterback on your team. And there are certain intangible things that go along with that position that, I mean, we've all been on coaching staffs before where you're like, we don't have a quarterback. And then there's other times you're like, we have a quarterback. And, and you can't really put your finger exactly on that. Like you mentioned, Khalil, like you, there's just an it factor that goes along with that. And it's a bunch of different things. And it might be different things for different guys for different reasons. But, um, you know, the leadership qualities that, that they come with um, are, are the most important things. And I'll say this. Um, there has to be a likability factor too, right? Like Brad said, like, you know, a man of the people, which is, I hadn't thought of that as an expression, but yeah, like, and I'm not saying play politics, but like, you can't be the guy who's leading the team and, and have four buddies that are the receivers and not talk to the eighth receiver and not talk to the, to the fourth string running back. Cause you, you, you can't be a jerk. Like you have to have a likability factor because you're the guy that gels the whole team together that, and as an extension of the coaching staff and is really the, the pulse of the, of the team. Um, and even if you're not that talented of a guy, you're still those things, right? Like you think of some of the, the quarterbacks in the NFL who people make fun of, oh, they won one Super Bowl. They'll never be in the Hall of Fame. Trent Dilfer, he's got some qualities about him yes. that make him a leader and make him able to win a Super Bowl. So yeah, I, maybe that's, I talked about too much different, too many different things there, but yeah. No, that, that's great insight. I love that. And and you know, f- just to finish off with you here, Jeff, who who's your favorite running back of all time? Who do you, who did you look up to as a kid, and who do you admire? I have a bit of an odd uh, look at this, in, in that uh, you know, it's easy to pick, you know, Barry Sanders or Walter Payton and some of those sure. big stat guys. I was always a big fan of Earl Campbell, and some of you may, if mm-hmm. you're watching this, you might not have a clue who that is. But if you go and watch his highlights, like. He would like run through the soul of people, which which I always liked. Right. And he puts, I think his first, like he gets used and abused in his first three or four seasons there. I'm going to say you take any any of those four seasons and you compile them to any other running back for four seasons. I think he rushes for like 6,800 yards and 70 touchdowns in three or four seasons. It's 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 silly. Um, and then he, you know, got busted up because he had 400 carries yeah. in consecutive years. But nevertheless, he just would run through the soul of a person and and be able to run away from people. And it was so violent. Um, I just like that. So yeah. yeah, no, and that kind of you know kind of resembles a little bit of your game, right? So I can yeah. see I can see not the, the running there. away, but yeah, yeah, not so much running away. <laughs> running so. through the soul, definitely. <laughs> Okay, Bosch, how about you, man? Uh, what is the you know your perspective from a center, from an offensive line, again on the quarterback? What what do you need out of your quarterback? I think you need somebody that's sincere, because uh, it's pretty hard to put yourself on the line or sacrifice your body for somebody if if they're fake, right? And and obviously, like there's there's a lot of other like obviously you want to be a hard worker and everything, but it needs to be a guy that when you look in the huddle, like, you know, that he, he's going to own who he is and he's going to work hard. So probably just sincerity and a, and a, and a hard worker. All right. But you need to look at the guy and know that, 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 that he's worth protecting. Really? Look, like, like, don't get me wrong. Like you have pride. You're not going to let anybody get lit up. Right. But, but those guys where you look at them and you're like, yep, this is the guy. And you know, you get that feel and you're just like, I'm going to do whatever. Like you'll, find an extra notch do whatever you got to do to keep us safe right right yeah easy can i just interject for one quick second i i just want to touch on like we've got brad here and i don't know that i've ever maybe even said these things to him but like we all played on, on a bison team and and brad was 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 the backup and was also 
Um, nobody panicked when Brad Sarna came in the game. Like Brad could have gone to any other program mm-hmm. in anywhere in the country and he could have been the guy and produced big stats and big numbers. And I don't know a person alive that dislikes Brad Sarna. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's bothered me to be honest, but I don't like, he has those qualities and yet he didn't always get uh, a fully accurate shot because right. we were such a talented team. Um, yeah, it, it's just kind of interesting that, you know, we look back at our career and we had two guys and in some situations, three guys. In some situations, you know, the fourth guy was, was pretty good, too, at our quarterback position. So that's kind of an anomaly um, and was fairly unique to, to the Bison program there. We had we had stars at quarterbacks. So anyway, for what for that's worth. No, I, I Overall, guys, I think that's fantastic. Just, you know, outlook on the quarterback and, and what you need from from different perspectives on you know the offensive side of the ball so I really love all your points like we touched on a lot of great things today uh, I want to thank you guys for being on the podcast uh, it's been awesome chatting with you all week and having you on tonight reconnecting uh, you know you guys are friends for life I always also feel like I'm you know you guys are my friends for life right and that doesn't mean necessarily that we talk every day or we see each other but when we do, Right. It's it's just like old times. We pick up where we left off. And, uh, you know, again, I, I'm really thankful that I got to spend this time with you. I hope you guys enjoyed your time tonight. Yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, absolutely awesome. Yeah, Thanks awesome. for having us on. Geez. Hey, nice no. to reconnect with you all. Absolutely. All right, guys. I want, I want again, thank you and thank the audience that, uh, you know, the community has been awesome every week. Just keep growing and more people, more connections today. Again, uh, when I posted social media about you guys being on, AJ Zaglin connected with me. I'm going to have him on Thank in the you. future. And, you know, it just keeps growing every episode. So I, I really love uh, being able to do this and talk football. And it's been an awesome time. So I just want to thank you guys again and wish you guys a great night. Thanks, buddy. No Thanks, problem. buddy. Thank you, guys.